Welcome to the Conscious Clinician Podcast. We have honest conversations about the triumphs and challenges of pelvic health physical therapy. Each week, we bring you inspiration and practical tips to thrive in your work. And now, here's your hosts, Dr. Monica Stefanovich and Dr. Sammy Steele. Welcome back to the Conscious Clinician, everyone. Hey, Sammy. Hey, Monica. Today, we're excited to talk to you about fear avoidance and pain. How do we address it as providers? How do we identify it? How does it impact our patients? Before we dive into a case example, let's start with a definition. Fear avoidance is a response to cope with fear of activities that a person believes will be painful. These beliefs can be built upon previous experiences, such as bending forward and feeling pain, or from watching other people with pain, such as having a parent who has had disabling back pain, or from the fear-inducing information they've gotten from other providers. So however the beliefs come about, we all hold them to some extent around different parts of our body, and the level of fear can be different around various parts of our body too. So with that in mind, let's dive into a patient case to kick off our conversation. So I'll introduce this patient that I had who I saw for a while for low back pain. This patient has had chronic back pain for years, but was managing it fairly well for a while until the pandemic hit and there was a large change in her activities, in her lifestyle, and she was spending a lot more time at home and not doing as much. She noticed that her pain began to get worse and worse, and finally she sought out treatment for physical therapy. And I just remember vividly on her first day, her describing the pattern of her symptoms, which was that she would get up and the pain would get progressively worse the longer that she would stand in one position, sit in one position, or really just do anything that wasn't laying down. And over the course of a few hours, she would notice that her pain would creep up and up until the point that she'd feel like she needed to take a laying down rest break. And over the course of that year that she was more inactive, her rest breaks started to increase and increase and increase to the point that she was taking five or six of these half hour laying down breaks per day, which to me was like, oh my gosh, I mean, this this woman is laying down for hours out of her day. I mean, what a huge disruption to your life. And when I'd probe about what elicited the the need to lay down, what caused her to want to lay down. She would say things like, well, my pain would just get worse. And if I waited too long to lay down and then I just know I'm going to be miserable for the rest of the day, or I just feel like my back is crumbling and it feels like it's about to go into a spasm. And I know that if I wait too long, then I'm just going to be paying for it. So I have to go lay down immediately as soon as I feel that pain creep on. And I'll pause here for a second because I think there's a lot to unpack with (laughs) this patient and her behavior, right? Her response to her pain was to avoid it and to go do something sedentary. And that was something that was not helping her in the long run, right? You can see that this pattern is getting worse and worse. I could hear in her story this pattern of avoidance, then she's resting, which leads to atrophy slash disuse, which perpetuates the cycle, creates more fear. And she's just in that rabbit hole. She can't get out. And I think the other really 
big point to note with her story as well is that this all started when she became more inactive. Mm. And so that was a big kind of ding, ding, ding. This person has fear avoidance. Sammy, thank you for sharing that case example. It is so clear cut that this patient is demonstrating fear avoidance behaviors. And I want to point out that she mentions she needs to lay down before the pain gets any worse. Mm -hmm. So there's the fear component. She's expecting it to become more painful. And what helps her is to lay down. So the first question I have is, were you able to talk with her about this fear, where the fear of more activity came from? Yeah, yeah. We we really spent a lot of time together. I've, I worked with this patient for quite a few visits, and we started to have a lot of conversations about how she was interacting with this pain that she had. And I found out in the first couple of sessions that she really wouldn't give herself a chance to be in too much pain because she was so fearful of it and it became so debilitating to her. She really would immediately go lay down, and that was her response to it each time. And I think one of the biggest turning points for us was when I pointed out to her, so it seems like your pain started during a period that you became more inactive, but the thing that's keeping you in pain seems to be the inactivity. What do you think about those two? Mm. And she, I I could tell she had to kind of sit with that for a little bit like, oh, maybe this is not helping me. I I just remember a, a, a moment where she asked me, well, it seems now though that every time I try to move... It does hurt. So how do I get out of this? So that was a turning point where there was a little bit of a, okay, I hear what you're saying. I recognize this pattern that I'm in, but now I'm still feeling stuck about what to do about it. Yeah. So to highlight what you did well there, you introduced dissonance. Because the thing with fear avoidance is that people have this belief and they avoid or escape the pain or try to anyways, whether they're successful or not, doesn't matter. To be clear, a person could say they have very intense pain and still try to do fear avoidance and still have intense pain. So, you know, just because they avoid activities doesn't mean they're getting rid of the pain. It's just that they think they're avoiding an even greater pain outcome with what they're doing. To come back to what you said, you introduced dissonance. If this patient is only doing fear-avoidant behaviors, she never has the ability to confront the beliefs that are keeping her stuck. So whether it's by prescribing an activity that surprises them or asking this question that surprises them, we can inject a sense of maybe that's not true. Maybe that's not true for you. And that that can really burrow and grow some roots and start to change the beliefs that people have that are keeping them stuck. Sometimes we don't see that in the moment when we treat people. Sometimes it might take years or months or any time after PT to realize it. But you did that so well. And you did it without scaring her, which I think is the other thing that's so important is you didn't come out and say, okay, I told her to exercise for an hour a day. I didn't tell her she has to stand up for four hours a day because exposing them to more fear is going to teach them how to get really good at ignoring their body. And that's not what we want. Mm -hmm. What we want is to actually change the underlying belief or at least help change it 
so that they can take behaviors which ultimately support their health, their wellness, or their recovery. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of, okay, well, where do we go from here, right? We have this patient who is starting to see that there's a little bit of dissonance in their beliefs, but they're still in that stage where they're a little stuck. And I think this is where it can be so powerful to introduce some of that graded exposure. This is a a technique that I think is really helpful for those fearful patients because you can decide together on something that feels manageable. Like you say, you're not asking them to stand for four hours. You're saying, what do you think you could do? What feels okay to you? What do you think would not be a major flare up for you? What do you think you can tackle in this moment? And I, I mean, I asked the patient that, like, what sorts of things can you do now? Are there any movements that feel okay? Maybe they don't feel good, but they feel neutral and they don't flare you up. Like, what are those things? And with that, we started to develop, okay, we have a new plan here. Let's try something totally different, which is that if you have this pain come up and you feel like you need to go lay down, we're going to try this other thing instead. And so we came up with an exercise that was a really, really small movement. It's something that I probably wouldn't have even thought to start with another patient, but it was something that we decided together would be okay. And I told her, okay, every time you get pain, before you lay down, try it out for a couple minutes, and then you can go lay down. And that was where we started to plant the seed that she came back the next time and went, you know, I actually felt a little better when I did that. Mm. And then that's, I felt like that was when the floodgates opened because she started to realize, oh, there is a way out that doesn't involve me having to do tons of these exercises that flare me up. Because she had seen PTs in the past and they had all been like, okay, well, you just need to do this stretch. You just need to do 30 reps of this exercise and you'll be out of pain. And she would try and try and try and it would make her worse and worse and worse. So I think that having a little bite-sized chunk to start with that she felt okay with and that she felt that she had some input on really helped with that buy-in. And I see that as an aspect of graded exposure for this patient that we were able to choose a bite-sized thing and build off of it. So, Sammy, what stage of behavior change do you think she was in when she came to see you? I think that she was in contemplation. She was ready to make a change, but she didn't have any idea about what that change might be. Mm. I think she came in and said, this is not an okay pattern for me to be in. I mean, I remember her saying that, like, this can't be my life. I know I need to do something different. So that was kind of the the sense that I got from her, but there was no preparation because she didn't have anywhere that she knew to begin. So this patient was already contemplating that she needed to change. And it Mm -hmm. seems like when someone enters in the contemplation or the preparation stage, it's so much easier in air quotes for us to work with them. What I think is really challenging as a clinician is when we encounter patients who have significant fear avoidance behaviors and deeply rooted beliefs who are unaware that those beliefs are getting in the way of their current function. People who maybe say, yeah, I'm here because my doctor referred me and who are not interested in changing their belief That's when it gets frustrating as a provider, I think, Mm -hmm. because you're trying to come up against something where you really have to start from the bottom. You have to kind of start from just listening to them and just understanding how much something is affecting their life 
and starting to ask questions like, what would you like in the future? Or what would be a a better goal for you? So you can start to make the argument for change, start to help them make the argument for change. But it's great when they're in the contemplation state. The other thing I think of with fear avoidance is that we as healthcare providers have it, Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is a little mind boggling to think of. I'm scratching my head here because we'll attach the article that references this. But when I saw it, I just thought to myself, that makes sense. That's been my experience. And I can think of certain diagnoses or just certain populations that I've had more beliefs that lead to fear avoidant interaction on my part as a healthcare provider. One of the first ones I think of is prolapse. And I just remember my first ever patient in residency was like 75 years old, so fear avoidant now. It's crazy. But at the time, I didn't realize that. But 75 highly fearful and anxious, new onset of prolapse. It happened when she was coughing one day and just felt her organs pop out of her body. Now, that was scary for her, but I have to say as a brand spanking new provider, seeing my first ever pelvic patient, I didn't know what to make of that either. I thought you coughed and your organs came out of your body? (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Uh, uh. (laughs) So, you know, that's one example of like when my own fear kind of set in. And some other things that contribute to my fear are when I don't know the diagnosis well, when I don't Mm. know what goes into the diagnosis, when I don't know the natural prognosis, when I'm not sure of how to lead treatment. So I can look back and say my first year, probably two years of practice, I was more fearful as a provider than I realized at the time because of how much I realized I didn't know. And the way that showed up with people is that I couldn't come out with confidence to be their guide to say, listen, let's talk about what actually contributes to pelvic girdle pain. Let's dispel some of the myths about low back pain. And since I couldn't come at it with that confidence, I remember a lot of my conversations were uncomfortable for me and probably the patient because sometimes they wanted me to confront those beliefs and I couldn't. I didn't quite have the language to definitively go in there and say, no, that's not true. You can bend your spine and still be strong and healthy. Like I wasn't sure at the time, right? So the less I knew, the more ambiguity I had to practice with, which made it harder to confront the beliefs with my patients and sometimes led to me underdosing exercise. I I don't think I've really come out to people and ever said, you full on can't do that. I fundamentally don't believe that as a person. My, my bias is to kind of try and see how you react. But since I was fearful, I don't think I was dosing people at the intensity that would have helped them sometimes. And that took, I can see now, several years for me to develop the confidence to be able to say, yeah, well, let's do this intensity, right? And that really does come with clinical practice. I don't think there's an easy way to get around what I just described. But I think if you're aware of it, 
you can start to do something about it sooner. And I'm curious, Sammy, like hearing my own reflection, what you think, like, is that something you've experienced or seen show up in your practice? Yeah, you know, as you're giving examples, I think there's definitely aspects of that. I think absolutely I can sympathize with the when I know less about something, I'm much more likely to just give a much less intense exercise program, perhaps explain it in a way that's very nocebic or very mechanical. And so I think that those things certainly show up. But I also find that for myself, too, I tend to notice a really big gap in most patients and how fearful I am versus how fearful their other providers are. I find that for some reason, I'm not sure why, I tend to operate with a lot less fear around movement and exercise for most people than their providers do. So that tends to show up in in the case of somebody coming in and saying, well, my doctor told me I shouldn't do X, Y, and Z. And me saying, well, why why was that? Well, you know, what do you think about it? What, What happens when you try it? Does it make your back hurt worse? Does it make your symptoms more pronounced? No, it's probably fine then. So I think that I probably, you know, I'm still finding my way with how much I push on that because I also want to be mindful of not pushing on someone's beliefs about their providers too much, too. I think that if we undermine another provider that the patient really trusts, that's also not positive. But trying to give them a reason why I think it's okay. But I find that for myself, I definitely have a little less of that fear for whatever reason. And there's lots of reasons we develop beliefs. So I I love that you just came out and said, like, this is where I stand because our personal experiences are the people around us. The information that we've learned is going to shape the way we practice. And you and I, for one example, we went through PT school at different times at different schools, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You did a residency right away. I practiced for a year on my own. So I can already start to see differences in experience. And then we haven't even layered on our own personal experiences of pain, injury, recovery, maybe how active we were as kids, how the people around us reacted, I can think of certain members in my family that I won't name who just naturally respond with fear much more often. Mm. And it's something I have learned as an adult is, you know, their gut reaction is fear first. And although that's not true to who I am deep down, that's like a programming I've picked up. And so I have to like unlearn that, right? So that's nothing to do with PT and you know, not to psychoanalyze me in episode 36, but to say, (laughs) (laughs) but I, I share that to say, like, look a little bit deeper when it comes to fear. If you're struggling with a person who is really scared of movement and you are struggling to help them, then there's questions you got to ask yourself too. It's not just about what the patient is doing. Are you able to explain their pain in a biopsychosocial way that really honors what they've told you about their body? Because you can't give a super basic explanation that isn't tailored to them. You have to take the biopsychosocial framework, look at the person in front of you, be able to pull out what's important and say it back to them in a way that is at least neutral but hopefully has a sense of hope and optimism. And you said it well, if you give a nocebic mechanical explanation of something, um, 
ding dong, you're activating. (laughs) You are knocking on the door of fear beliefs and fear avoidance behaviors. And we do that in pelvic PT. We, we do, do that, that in lot. medicine. Any medical profession is. Yes, that's yeah. true. Oh okay, gosh. you're right. I'm not I, trying to be mean to pelvic PTs, <laughs> but yeah, there is a lot of it. Not disagreeing with you there. There's a there's a lot of it when it comes to the pelvis, right? I'll share one more personal tidbit in this episode, which is back to that first patient, right? That was pretty traumatic for me. Working with her was definitely challenging. I had no idea about the intensity of fear avoidance and catastrophizing. And I was totally lacking the full-on skill set to make deep, meaningful change. She went on to have surgery. I think we did a few visits together. Mm -hmm. She was already getting consult. That was the way to go for her. She ended up getting the surgery. I didn't see her afterwards. So for years and years, I'm kind of trying to find my way in pop and, and, you know, navigate helping people move with this understanding I held. And then I start working with Anne-Marie Everett as my colleague, and we'll link her episode. She is kind of like the pop guru of dispelling fear and outdated information when it comes to prolapse. So huge plug for her. If you feel the same way I described about prolapse, go sign up for her course pop-up. It's great. But as It's great. As I started working with her, you know, I was listening to the stuff she said and the way she talked about it. And it was my own aha moment of dissonance where I was like, Mm. wait, (laughs) she's saying all these empowering things to people. I want to say that. What? Why am I saying something different? Why am I telling them to maybe slow down and do less? And she's pushing them to do more. Like, what's that about? And then I started learning from her. You know, she created a PowerPoint for the residency about prolapse. I didn't get to attend that session, but I went through it on my own. And it had a lot of information that contradicted my beliefs. So that was another moment where I got to go like a layer deeper and a layer deeper and a layer deeper. And that's kind of how it works with our patients, too, is we get that initial seed And then we start peeling back the layers and you start finding different parts of the belief that need to be dispelled or just released or kind of untangled. Sometimes they can do that just with us as the PT. Sometimes we can do that just by reading or learning more or taking a course. And other times we need help. Like for clinicians, that looks like mentorship. That looked like me going through Anne-Marie's course and then like bringing her questions about it and being like, so does this lead to this? And her saying no, or here's what I think, or here's how I approach it. And the parallel for patient care is like, they might need to work with a mental health professional to uncover some of those fear beliefs or to let go of some of the trauma that they've experienced in the medical system, in their own personal life that is contributing to fear. And everyone's on a spectrum. So just to say it again, we all have some level of fear. It's probably different for diagnoses, different experiences, different periods in our life, like pregnancy. I think fear goes up super high Mm, during pregnancy and postpartum. Those are really vulnerable times for people. So someone who 
you know, was more resilient before that now has to face a lot of unknowns. And there's a lot of cultural conditioning around what your body shouldn't be doing during pregnancy. So there's so many layers to unpack. This has helped me be a lot more compassionate towards my patients and also to myself, to myself as I'm changing and to myself as I'm maybe working with someone where I could see that the amount of belief that they have is probably outside of my scope of change. You know, I give it my best effort all the time and I hold that optimism for them, but there's just times where it doesn't click the way you mentioned with that patient. It just doesn't click. And I could be a lot more compassionate to myself now instead of thinking, you know, oh, I failed. Or I might go back and say, you know, actually, I really did need to learn more. I needed to learn more about that condition to explain it better, to dispel their myths. So that was a lot of reflection. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I really appreciated your reflections on what you're bringing to the table. I mean, I think the huge thing that both of us took away from researching this topic is that Fear is not just generated in the patient, but there's also this huge interplay between the fear of the provider. And I think you spoke to that so well with that patient that you had in your first year of practice, which is that you can completely influence their fear by what you say, how you behave, what you prescribe for them to do. And I I really appreciate that reflection. And it was funny what you said, not to psychoanalyze, but I actually think that we all should be psychoanalyzing ourselves a bit. If we're going to be interacting with other humans and bringing our own shit to that interaction with somebody who's in pain and scared, we probably should be aware of our background and what we bring to the table. So I love that you think about that stuff, that you're aware of this person in your past that brought up those feelings in you and that trained behavior of fear. And I think that allows us to again, be conscious of it and change something about it so that we can actually interact with the patient in a way that's not going to increase their fear more and more like a lot of healthcare providers really can. Yep. So there it is. There's how to be a conscious clinician around fear. We hope that you sit with it with your patients. As a quick reflection, are they demonstrating fear avoidance behaviors? If they are, what beliefs contribute to that? And you've got to ask them that directly. I mean, you can make assumptions, but if you want to learn about questioning assumptions with a patient, you got to go back to our episodes with Katie, the one where I reflect on what happened, the one where Katie shares what his experience was during our time together, because that will show you assumptions don't help when it comes to fear. And then if it's not going well with a patient, what fears do you have around the condition, around their body, around healing in general? And what can you learn? What can you change and unpack to help? And only then will we really be able to address the the root of fear avoidance. All right. Stay conscious, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Let's keep the conversation going on Instagram at The Conscious Clinician and Facebook backslash The Conscious Clinician. Links are in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review for the podcast to grow our community. Stay conscious, everyone.